What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to episode number 190 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Bleach Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Colleen, as always, and we're here with you today to finish off the North Divisions in our Draft Recap Series. And like the AFC North, just one team picking in the top 10 here in the NFC North, but unlike that division, just two teams made the playoffs last year, the Packers and the Bears. And even with that, Trades actually had the Bears picking ahead of the Vikings, who didn't make the playoffs, but I'm kind of rambling a bit here. Tony, how do you feel overall about what this division did in the draft? Well, I mean, the news of Aaron Rodgers wanting out at Green Bay literally an hour before the draft started, uh, I think kind of sent things into a tailspin. The Bears, we'll talk about, looks like they got their quarterback. I thought the Vikings did well, and the Lions drafted based on the uh, based on the personality of their coach. So, uh, you know, I, I, the big talking point here is the Green Bay Packers and whether or not Aaron Rodgers will be back in uh, 2021, which if he's not, we now know why they drafted uh, Jordan Love in 2020, although I'm sure they had no idea that this was coming. And maybe that's part of the reason that Aaron Rodgers wants out. And we will get to all of this for the NFC North in just a minute. But first... A word from our sponsor. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. There are no more 2021 draft props available, obviously, but you can bet on the 2022 draft. Spencer Rattler currently almost even money to go number one overall. Sam Howell's odds are a bit under 20%. And Tony, you will be disappointed to know that Carson Strong isn't even in the top 10. But Derek Stingley Jr. and Desmond Ritter are tied for eighth at about 20 to one. I dare say that Zach Wilson wasn't in the top 10 a year ago. I dare say that two years ago, Joe Burrow wasn't in the top 10. So smart money says go place a few dollars on uh, Sam Howell and bet online. And head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, on our last show, we talked about the Bengals passing on Panay Suel at number five in favor of Jamar Chase. The Lions, quite happy about that, scooping the Oregon opt-out offensive tackle at number seven overall. Guy that really is just going to 
add toughness to that line. A guy that's an exceptional pass blocker at the left tackle position. Again, we talked about Chase opting out and it really not hurting his draft stock and that kind of telling you what kind of player he is. Well, the same thing is true with Panay Sewell. You know, maybe a little bit more of a project than a guy like Jamar Chase, but I mean, he's going to be a starter immediately for Detroit and he's a big time upgrade for their offensive line from week one on. Be interesting to see if they use him at left tackle or right tackle, how that works out at camp. Do they move Taylor Decker? been a good left tackle for them over to the right side but the fact is this you know they got far and away the premier offensive lineman in this year's draft a, a, a guy that you know i'm sure dan campbell is absolutely going to love or new head coach dan campbell i should say is absolutely going to love and going to help develop now three picks on the second day for the lions washington defensive tackle levi on at 41 in the second round and then two third rounders nc state defensive tackle Aline mcneil at 72 and Syracuse defensive back, Afetu Melifanwu, a bit later on in the round, a guy many people will remember his brother, Obi Melifanwu, who went to the Raiders early in round two. Great athlete, uh, never really produced. Melifanwu, also a great athlete, also is a guy who has flashed in college, but a guy that, similarly to his brother in, in a lot of ways, didn't always produce up to the level of his athleticism. So more of a developmental guy, but you get him at pick 101 overall, and you know you have a little bit more leash to develop him there. Onuzurike, second tackle off the board after Christian Barmore. Similar player in terms of a, a three technique who can penetrate the backfield. I thought this was a pretty good pick for Detroit. They really kind of remade the inside of their defensive line there with that pick and then McNeil 31 slots later. McNeil supposedly is going to start at nose tackle for Detroit. So even if Onuzurike doesn't start right away, they have Michael Brockers there as well. Uh, he's going to be in the rotation. So, you know, a lot of work in the trenches here, three of the first four picks for Detroit on the offensive and defensive lines. And like I said at the start, I mean, Dan Campbell type of player, Dan Campbell type of personality, punching the mouth type of guys, big, strong, tough guys. McNeil has got to learn to play to his size. He's a, he's a big guy, wide body guy. He's short, but he was more of a three technique, first step type of guy who has just got to learn to play strong football. I'm sure he can. And who's a doesn't have great size, but again, he's very explosive. I think he is a someone who's going to be eventually an improvement over John Penasini, who is someone that just gets the most from his ability, doesn't have the great upside, but you know he's coming to play every single down. Uh, their other selection in that uh, in that second day, Melifanu, he's much tougher than his brother. The problem with his brother was his brother played very passive uh, football. Melifanu has got terrific size. Don't know if he's going to be a corner or safety. Uh, he may be better inside. He's better facing the action. Needs a bit of work on his game, but he's got great upside. Now, three picks on the third day for Detroit, starting with USC wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown at 112. And then one pick later, Purdue linebacker Derek Barnes at pick 113. Then nothing in round five and nothing in round six. But round seven towards the end of the round, Oregon State running back Jamar Jefferson was the pick for the Lions. I mean, St. Brown is a guy that, We've been talking about for a while. He's a very good player. You know, we talked on our last episode about Tylen Wallace. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is, is similar in the sense that he's a very good route runner. He's a very productive receiver. He's a very good football player, but he's not super big and he's not super athletic, but he's a good player. I thought this was really good value for Detroit. And there's an opening on the depth chart at the wide receiver position after Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay left in the offseason. So could see some production as a rookie for St. Brown. Derek Barnes out of Purdue. Tony, I know a guy you like a lot. Very good against the run. Can also play some coverage as well. Not an elite coverage type of linebacker, but a good pick here in the fourth round. And then Jamar Jefferson. I mean, they drafted DeAndre Swift last year. They brought in 
Jamal Williams in the offseason. So Jefferson is a guy, if he does make the roster, he's not going to be any higher than third string, but a dynamic player. Really good guy. Kind of small, though. Tony, what do you make of what Detroit did on the third day? Jefferson's a good rotational back. Not the fastest guy, although he does pick up big yardage from the line of scrimmage. Had some tremendous uh, performances last year. But again, has some limitations. I think he's going to he'll do well as a rotational back. Derek Barnes, you know, uh, I wax poetic about him. I, I've been all over this guy. I thought this that was a major steal uh, for the Lions. I think he'd be a very good middle linebacker. And again, a Dan Campbell type of guy, a punch in the mouth type of guy who plays tough football and has got a well-rounded game. I think uh, St. Brown comes off a disappointing season, whereas in 2019, he was the big threat. He was the guy to watch at USC. Last year, it was Drake London, who's going to be a very early pick. Uh, but again, St. Brown could be a real good receiver for the Lions, who, as you said, re- revamped their entire uh their entire receiver unit, I believe Rashad Perriman is their top uh, pass catcher right now. Uh, he'll have an opportunity, I believe, to play, not, not just to uh, make an active roster, but play and produce as a rookie. Now, lots of undrafted free agents for Detroit, 13 in total. That's what happens when you have seven draft picks in the draft and done in rounds five and six. Uh, and they really continue to add to that wide receiver room that we discussed. I mean, Jonathan Adams out of Arkansas State, a big possession type of receiver who is very productive, uh, you know, at a lower level of competition. Javon McKinley of Notre Dame didn't produce much until this season, but had a pretty solid campaign for Notre Dame. Uh, you know, obviously they played in the ACC, so certainly a much different level of competition and, and a lot of interesting athletic traits with McKinley. Also another guy with good size. And then Sage Surratt out of Wake Forest. I mean, these guys all have good size, uh, you know, which obviously the Lions are focusing on bigger receivers, uh, signing them after the draft. But I mean, Surratt is a guy who didn't play this past season, but, you know, a good player when he was on the field with Jamie Newman at Wake Forest, very productive, uh, you know, not going to wow you with athleticism, but a good possession receiver or reliable guy who's going to catch the ball when it's thrown to him. Uh, so definitely some interesting receivers that Detroit signed after the draft. Tony, what about these guys and anything else you saw? Yeah, Adams ran well during his pro day. So he's not really slow. He's just going to learn to play to his speed. Uh, I'm not surprised he fell out of the draft, but he's a consistent pass catcher. Javon McKinley, I am shocked he fell out of draft. He was a guy who was graded as a mid-rounder coming into the season, had a terrific campaign. He's got outstanding size and speed, very athletic, can jump through the roof. I think they got to steal with this signing. Sage Surratt is a possession type of guy who wins out for the contested throw. Opted out in 2020 after suffering an injury in 2019. He's not fast. He's not quick. Uh, he's more of your you know number five possession receiver. But again, I, I think with all three of these guys, as well as St. Brown, you're going to see a lot of these rookies on the active roster on the receiver depth chart for the Lions when the season opens. Now, moving on to the aforementioned Chicago Bears, who made a big move up the board on Thursday in draft night, traded pick number 20 and a fifth rounder this year, along with their first and fourth round picks next year to get up to number 11. When quarterback Justin Fields was falling down the board, they stopped that fall. Excellent, excellent pick for Chicago here. I mean, a guy that, you know, we've been talking about all season, uh, you know, we've been discussing when people were kind of souring on him a bit because he hit that little mid season slump. Although, I mean, with the big 10 playing six games or whatever it was, it's hard to call anything mid season, but you know, Justin Fields wasn't perfect this season by any means, but he showed you everything that he's shown in previous years to make him an elite quarterback prospect. And then, you know, he falls to number 11 in the draft and, and the bears seeing an opportunity they pounced. Yes, they gave up a lot to get him. But I mean, this is a guy that, you know, could really turn this team around after they struck out 
on Mitch Trubisky and had to bring in Nick Foles to kind of, you know, keep them afloat with a competitive roster. Well, now they have Justin Fields. He doesn't have to play right away with Andy Dalton on the roster, but you can certainly make an argument that he should play right away just because of the dynamic ability he's going to bring to Chicago, even if it takes him a little bit to develop into a fully fledged elite passer. With Andy Dalton and Nick Foles on the roster on a uh, uh, depth chart at quarterback. Yeah. I mean, the Fields has got a great amount of upside. You know, you just have to wonder if the Bears have the right people in place to develop him to really tap into that upside. As I said time and time again, he's, he's probably the best arm talent of the top uh, quarterbacks. He was, you know, he was relatively productive last year. I actually thought he played better in 2019. Um, I'm not so much concerned about Fields, the player, as I am the Bears' ability uh, to develop him with the people that they have in place. We'll have to see how that works out. Yeah, I would agree that that's probably the biggest concern uh, when you're looking at Fields' future. You'd probably prefer he goes somewhere a little bit you know, more stable in terms of development and things like that. But hopefully that is something he can overcome because, as you said, the upside is, is through the roof with Justin Fields. Uh, in the second round, the Bears again made a trade up the board, tick Tevin Jenkins, the offensive lineman out of Oklahoma State, at pick number 39. I mean, Jenkins is a, a player that a lot of people thought was going to go you know, in the mid to late portion of round one. So again, the Bears see a player falling down the board and they trade up to get that player. And Jenkins is a guy, he's a good athlete. He's got good size. He can play left tackle. He can play right tackle. He's got position versatility. Um, You know, he's got a little bit of things to clean up with his game in terms of fundamentals. But I mean, other than that, I mean, this is an excellent prospect who, uh, you know, another player that it's really hard to complain, even though Detroit gave up a lot of draft picks to get Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins. It's really hard to complain about the players they brought in. The reason Jenkins fell was his interviews were terrible. I had been told about it as the process was going on. He didn't show a lot of confidence. He didn't come off well, which is ironic because he shows a lot of confidence on film. I mean, he is a big, large, athletic uh, tackle prospect who played right tackle uh, at Oklahoma State, or the Oklahoma State uses a wide open system, and it's not like he's got a tight end lined up next to him or coming out, coming out of a stance, as uh, a lot of offenses do. And he's very good on the second level. Fundamentally sound. He has a high amount of upside. It's a situation where they may just have to coax him mentally, uh, you know, to get that confidence level up. Real good player and someone who I think that the Bears are relying on to start at left tackle when the season opens. Now, no picks in rounds three or four for Chicago. But in round five, they selected Missouri offensive lineman Larry Borum at pick 151. Then three picks in the sixth round, Virginia Tech running back Khalil Herbert, UNC wide receiver Daz Newsom, and Oregon quarterback Thomas Graham Jr. And then in round seven, BYU defensive lineman Kairis Tonga to round out their draft. I mean, you look at Borum, he's a big offensive lineman. Really good run blocker, but the athleticism isn't quite there. He's a guy that's going to be you know, more of a power blocker on the inside Khalil Herbert, a guy, another friend of the show, a guy we've talked to here on the show, a guy that, I mean, we were discussing him as a, a potential late day two, early day three pick. I mean, we have discussed since the draft how a lot of running backs fell down the board. Herbert certainly fell down the board here into the sixth round, but player with good size, good explosion, good athleticism, you know, hasn't necessarily shown production as a receiver, but I think the ability could be there for Khalil Herbert. I thought this was good value for the Bears. And then Daz Newsom out of UNC, kind of your prototypical slot guy, but he's not the quickest slot guy. He's not a vertical slot guy. Like is kind of all the rage with a lot of uh, players, you know, in the Dwayne Eskridge mold these days, uh, but a good solid receiver, um, you know, just probably more depth at the NFL level. Tony, what do you think about what Chicago did on the third deck? 
Quorum, a developmental right tackle who's going to add depth at the position. Uh, I mean, he's going to be basically be a backup, I believe, to start off the season. Khalil Herbert, it's interesting because they've got guy, they got a guy like Tarek Cohen there who does the same thing as Khalil Herbert, although he does it real well uh, as far as a breakaway threat who can turn the perimeter and do some uh, pump returning for you. And Herbert is also a terrific pass catcher out of the backfield. I would fully expect Herbert to uh, to make the active roster. Newsom, you said it well, not fast, but catches the ball very well. Thomas Graham is a solid, not great cornerback who I think could be a uh, dime back at the next level. Tonga of BYU, more of your one-gap type of nose tackle. Not a powerful guy, but very explosive off the snap with a great first step. Now, another team with not as many draft picks as we've seen with most teams so far and lots of undrafted free agents, Charles Snowden, the edge rusher out of Virginia, a guy we've discussed a lot. Great height, guy who can bat down passes, a pretty good athlete, but just a guy that you know doesn't necessarily have a place, doesn't necessarily have a position, and I'm assuming that's why he fell out of the draft completely. C.J. Marable running back out of Coastal Carolina, you know, a guy that has an opportunity to make a roster productive player, and obviously Coastal Carolina had an excellent season, which kind of you know, put him into the national spotlight a little bit. Not quite good enough for him to get drafted. I mean, despite the numbers here, in terms of the amount of players that Chicago signed after the draft. I don't see any huge impact, Tony. Uh, what do you think about some of the guys that uh, the Bears were able to pick up? Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, Charles Snowden's a guy who is a good fit. He's just got to learn to rush the passer. He's got to be more consistent rushing the passer, I should say, not learn. They really didn't use him that much in that capacity at Virginia. He's got to get a little bit stronger. Keep an eye on Sam Kamara, Stony Brook, a guy who I've watched for the past three years, had some injury issues in 2019, came back and played well. He's an explosive guy, not the biggest guy in the world, but someone who plays with great leverage, terrific first step defender. Uh, a guy who I thought would have been better in a four man front rather than the three man front that the bears play, but someone who can play in the NFL. Now moving along to the Minnesota Vikings here who originally had pick number 14 in the draft. They moved down nine spots there. The jets moved up to draft Elijah Vera Tucker and to drop nine spots, the Vikings picked up pick 66 pick 86, and they had to kick and pick 143. Uh, but what they did with that pick, in adding the third best tackle in the draft, Virginia Tech's Christian Darasaw, I mean, this is the guy the fourth tackle off the board after Alex Leatherwood surprised and went 17 overall to Oakland. I mean, Darasaw is a guy uh, that we discussed when we had a show at some point last year talking about guys who weren't getting first-round recognition but would end up in the first round. Uh, Tony had Zayvon Collins and I had Christian Darasaw. So two for two, uh, go us. We really nailed those. But I mean, Darasaw is a guy, I mean, when you look at him on paper, it's, it's surprising that he wasn't getting first round recognition earlier. I mean, he was productive. He played well. He had good film, but he has great athleticism. He's got the size to stick at left tackle. Um, I mean, this is just a home run pick for the Vikings and the fact that they were able to add other picks later on to do it. I mean, not saying that's a bad trade for the Jets in any scenario because the Jets got what they needed, but the Vikings, you know, got a player that they really needed at a position of need. And they added a lot of draft capital by moving down. Just, I mean, hard to, hard to compliment what the Vikings were able to do with this selection and trade any more than I already have. Darisol was the guy that they wanted at 14. They didn't think he was going to be there and they thought that they would end up with Vera Tucker and what happened was both Vera Tucker and Darasaw was there at the 14. The Jets traded up to get Vera Tucker. And, you know, the, the, the Vikings got the best of all the worlds. They got the player that they wanted in Darasaw. They got a player who fills the need at left tackle. And they got two third-round picks to move down to get Darasaw. So I think it's, it was a 
brilliant move by the Vikings. I don't think it could have worked out any better for them. I think he's a guy who's going to quickly move into the uh, starting position at left tackle and could be there for a long time. Now, no picks in round two for Minnesota, but four in round three, two of them, obviously from that Jets trade. The first one they got from the Jets, they used on Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond. Then they drafted UNC linebacker Chaz Surratt at 78. They drafted Ohio State offensive lineman Wyatt Davis with the second pick they got from the Jets. And then they went with Pitt defensive end Patrick Jones, four picks later at pick number 90. Uh, I mean, Kellen Mond is a guy, listen, he started for a very long time at Texas A&M. He's athletic. He's got the arm. He just was never really a consistent passer. He did get better uh, this season. The statistical accuracy is there, as we say sometimes, but he will sell passes. Then again, Kirk Cousins has his own issues too. So a developmental type of quarterback for Minnesota and, you know, a guy whose traits and experience are something that you do want to bet on. I thought it was a pretty good pick. Chasserat, former quarterback himself, now linebacker, you know, a good player, a good athlete. I think he was good value in the third round as well, as was Wyatt Davis. And, you know, all guys that we've discussed a lot on the show, the Vikings must listen to the draft analyst because, uh, you know, they took a lot of guys that we've discussed and a lot of guys that we've talked about. We like Patrick Jones seemingly went a little bit early, didn't quite test out as the athlete that you would have hoped a guy at his size would test out at, but he was productive. Um, you know, again, probably not the, the greatest pick in terms of value here, but he can contribute in a rotation for the Vikings. And, and in the end, just five picks in the top 90, a good job you know, getting early picks and, and really selecting good value for the most part for Minnesota. Mon's got great upside. He's a developmental prospect. He doesn't need to play right away. It's just a matter of, can they get him to consistently play at a high level? Most importantly, can they consistently get Mon to go through his progressions rather than stare down the target, his primary target, I should say. Chas Surratt, I love this pick. I think he is a terrific fit for the Vikings. 4-3 defense. He is your prototypical I mean, is he going to play middle linebacker? Is he going to play weak side linebacker? He can play both, obviously not at the same time, but he's got that type of ability. Wyatt Davis, I thought all along was a first round prospect, suffered that significant knee injury during the national title game, but he's a big mobile offensive lineman. He is a tremendous leader on the field. He was good in 2019. He was good in 2020 before he suffered that injury. I think they got themselves a starter here in Wyatt Davis which really makes that trade down uh, and then getting Darisol look even better. I would agree with you, Patrick Jones. I mean, he's a guy who at one point in time, people thought could be the best edge rusher in this draft. I never agree with that. People thought a top 45 pick. I never agree with that. Ran terribly uh, during his pro day for a guy who's a one-dimensional pass rusher, ran the four eights. That's not really a big, uh, th that big of a deal because he's not going to run 40 yards uh, on any given Sunday but he just did not test out as athletic as many people thought. Now six picks on the third day for Minnesota. And the first one in the fourth round, definitely a surprise. Iowa State running back Kenny Nwangwu, you know, a guy we talked about Patrick Jones not having a great pro day. Nwangwu had a great pro day, showed off excellent speed. At the very least, they'll use him as a returner, could add depth as a running back as well, but just seems like a bit early if that's what they're looking for out of him. Didn't really really run the ball that much at Iowa state. So, you know, a pretty big projection in terms of playing the running back position, but six picks later, they kind of made up the value with Cal cornerback Cam Bynum at 125, a guy who, you know, we talked about the only question on him was really speed. And, and, you know, he proved at his pro day that he has enough speed. Good to see him go in the fourth round because he's a very good football player. Janarius Robinson, Florida state defensive end at pick 134 to round out the Vikings fourth round picks. And then two in the fifth round, Iowa wide receiver Amir Smith-Marset at 157. And Central Missouri State tight end Zach Davidson at 168, a guy we interviewed 
on the show. Go back and listen to that interview if you don't know too much about Zach Davidson. Obviously, Central Missouri State, not a hotbed of talent, so a lot of people probably don't know that much. You'll learn a lot about Zach Davidson. And then in round six, another Pitt defensive lineman, Jalen Twyman at 199, a guy who opted out this season, a guy who was much more highly regarded before that opt-out. Uh, seems like a good kind of roll of the dice here in the sixth round for Minnesota. Overall, I mean, really, the Vikings, it's hard to argue that they had one of the best drafts in the NFL this season. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Kenny Nguanu from Iowa State, he's a breakaway threat, but he's very unpolished. That was a head scratcher. I, I like you, I'm glad Bynum went in the fourth round because he absolutely deserved to go in the fourth round, if not the third round. He's a tremendous football player. Robinson's got a lot of upside, but just needs to meet that upside and play consistently at a high level. Smith Marset was great as a potential top 45 pick coming into the season. Didn't play up to expectations last year. Seemed to be uninspired at times and wanted to be elsewhere. Had a tremendous pro day. He's got a great amount of upside. Just needs to start to meet expectations. Zach Davidson, again, you know, as Chris said, go back and listen to the interview. I know for a fact that that interview was passed around to some teams because Davidson became, came away so impressive uh, during it. And he's an athletic guy who, oh, by the way, when you listen to the interview, you'll find out he's also a darn good punter. Uh, Twyman, uh, I, I mean, the sixth round, Twyman, like a lot of the other pit players, had a terrible pro day. Twyman was a guy who a lot of people thought could be a third-round pick, opted out of the season, singularly a three-technique type of tackle. I think he'll be a good fit in that uh, uh, in the system for the with, with the uh, with the Vikings, but I think he's got limited upside. Now, a bunch of free agents signed by the Vikings here, unlike a couple of our last shows where there were teams that just didn't really sign any free agents. Pretty much every team signing a decent amount of free agents here. Wap Fillior, the Indiana wide receiver who we've discussed, a small slot guy, but quick kind of guy, you know, video game type of controls in terms of jukes and things like that. Put the ball in his hands and, and good things can happen, but extremely small. Tough Borland, linebacker out of Ohio State. Um, it's kind of surprising to see him fall out of the draft. I mean, a good football player, again, you know, the athleticism in terms of superlatives there or anything like that, you know, he's not going to knock your socks off in terms of being an athlete, but he's a good football player. At the very least, he can be an ace special teamer, uh, definitely a chance for him to make the roster. And then Jordan Scott, defensive tackle out of Oregon, a big body in the middle, a guy who can really clog the lanes. Um, you know, we've discussed him a lot as well. You know, maybe he wasn't deserving of anything more than a late day three draft pick, but certainly worthy of a UDFA flyer. Tony, anything stand out to you? I like the George Scott signing. I also like the Christian Ellis signing, the, the uh, outside linebacker from uh, Idaho. I, again, I think he's a good fit in that system, can play weak side, can play uh, strong side. The son of Luther Ellis, very athletic, covers a lot of area on the field. It'll be uphill battle for him to make the, uh, the active roster, but I think at the very least, he's a practice squad player. Now, moving on to the final team here, the team that we discussed in the intro that may have, you know, a changing of the guard at quarterback, depending on Aaron Rodgers' mood uh, over the rest of the offseason. But in the first round, maybe he wanted them to draft the wide receiver. Again, they did not do so. They did draft a good player, though, in Georgia cornerback Eric Stokes at number 29 overall, a guy that entering the season, I don't think a lot of people thought he was going to be the first Georgia cornerback selected. They had several good cornerbacks there. Tyson Campbell, uh, Davis Daniel was very highly regarded and you know certainly was not drafted to the level that a lot of people expected. But Stokes is a good player. Um, you know, you look at his size, you look at his speed, it's all there. The ball skills are good. Um, you know, I, I think Stokes probably is the highest upside corner 
that Georgia had. Tyson Campbell certainly has an argument there, but I thought this was a pretty good pick for the Packers who definitely need some help in the secondary. Tony, what'd you think of Stokes? You, you know, you would have thought that after what went down with uh, Aaron Rodgers just a few hours earlier and the fact that they need speed at receiver and you had a guy like Elijah Moore or even Rondell Moore staring you in the face, you know, that may have been a way to not only get a good receiver, not only add speed to the position, but also kind of appease Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but I guess not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess they, they, they wanted to uh, prove who the boss is. Uh, Eric Stokes, I like him. I mean, he's got a good amount of upside. Was he the highest rated corner at the board? No, I had Campbell rated slightly higher, although I do like Stokes. You know, they needed another big corner, even though they got Kevin King there and they got Jair Alexander, who I believe they just said they're going to, uh, uh, they're going to sign to the fifth year option. Uh, I, I think in just the whole overall aspect of what went down with Aaron Rodgers and the need for a speed receiver, I think this was an interesting pick, if not at the very worst, a slap in the face to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they've been kind of slapping Aaron Rodgers in the face a lot lately, and and maybe he's finally tired of it. Again, we will see how the rest of the offseason transpires here. Josh Myers, the center out of Ohio State, was their second round draft pick at number 62 overall. You know, another guy, you know, a good player, a guy that's going to be a starter at the NFL level. He's a good athlete, has some growth potential as well. Um, You know, a good player, but again, you know, they're passing on receiving help for Aaron Rodgers, which they have desperately needed. I know they probably look and they say, you know what, Aaron Rodgers covers up our need for receivers and we have Devontae Adams and that's good enough uh, because they'll throw to him 15 times a game. But I mean, eventually, and you know, we'll kind of get to this with the next pick, you know, you need to add a receiver. Uh, They did add Clemson's Amari Rodgers at pick 85. I love seeing Rodgers go in the third round. I mean, this is a guy at the beginning of the year that Tony and I were discussing, you know, no one thought he was anything more than a day three prospect goes out, has a good season, obviously has had his share of being buried on the depth chart in prior years, but comes out extremely productive, extremely reliable receiver for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is a guy that if Aaron Rodgers stays around, I mean, Amari Rodgers is a great fit for what Aaron Rodgers is going to like to do, because you know where he's going to be. He will follow you around. Aaron Rodgers, you know, will hold the ball a little bit. We'll try to make some plays happen like a sandlot. Amari Rodgers will just keep running routes and keep trying to get open. Um, You know, he's a little small. He's not an elite athlete by any stretch, but he's just a good football player. And, you know, it's probably not the pick that's going to appease his namesake in Aaron Rodgers, but a very good pick nonetheless. I'm glad to see he went in the third round. I mean, people are talking about him as a fifth, sixth round. They ran slightly better at Pro Day than uh, people expected. But as you said, a terrific receiver who can also re- double as a return specialist. The Josh Myers selection was interesting, being that they got Elton Jenkins uh, on the offensive line there. Jenkins, a second-round pick of 2019, played incredibly well last year in 2020. I think they slide him over um, to guard and, and, and push Myers in it as the starting center. You know, at the very least, whether it's uh, Aaron Rodgers or whether it's Jordan Love, they're going to be very strong up front, very strong on the interior, I should say, of their offensive line, the Green Bay Packers. Now, six picks on the third day for Green Bay. Mississippi guard Royce Newman at 142 in the fourth round. Florida defensive lineman to Daryl Slayton in the fifth round. Five picks later, Shamar John Charles out of Appalachian State, the defensive back at 178. Two picks in the sixth round with constant offensive lineman Cole Van Lennon and Boston College linebacker Isaiah McDuffie, and then Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill at 
pick 256 overall, a guy who opted out midway through the season, just never really meshed with the Mike Leach offense there. Um, you know, caught a lot of underneath passage, complained about his role a little bit, wanted to run the ball more. Well, you know what? You play for Mike Leach. You're not going to run the ball a lot. They're going to throw a lot. Um, but, you know, several picks here along the offensive line in Newman and Van Lannan, and then the defensive line with Slayton. So Green Bay trying to address the trenches a bit here, but none of these picks stand out to me as, as anything special, Tony, um, am I crazy or, or what do you think of what green Bay did on day three? Not only, except for maybe Kylan Hill, not only do they not stand out, but they were all, you know, reaches in the classic sense. I mean, I like Royce Newman, but I thought he was more fifth round value to Daryl Slayton was a late round pick. Shamar Jean Charles, he's a good player, but I don't think anybody, except for maybe the Packers, obviously, had a draftable grade on him. Same thing with Cole Van Lennon. Isaiah McDuffie is, is a good linebacker. He's a solid run and chase linebacker that I think will do very well at inside linebacker uh, wow. uh, for, the, uh, for the Packers. I think they, they, they hit a home run with Kamal Martin last year. They could do the same thing with McDuffie. Uh, but, you know, all of those guys – uh, that I just mentioned, I, I think were taken much earlier than anybody would have projected or anybody had projected. I should say what it would have had projected. Yeah, probably not a, a draft overall. That's going to appease Aaron Rodgers for all the reasons that we mentioned. Uh, we've talked enough about Aaron Rodgers, though. There are some undrafted free agents that Green Bay signed only seven guys, which is a bit light uh, compared to the rest of the division. But they also had more draft picks, uh, you know, whether what they did with them was great or not. That's another story. But Christian Uphoff, the safety out of Illinois State, uh, you know, a good player, uh, played well during the senior bowl, uh, shows some flashes as well. He's got good size. He's got good speed, uh, got good ball skills too. I mean, you know, level of competition may be a concern, but again, he acquitted himself pretty well at the senior bowl. So I thought that was actually a nice signing. Frankly, he's probably a better player than several of the guys that they actually use draft picks on. Uh, Bailey Gaither, the wide receiver out of San Jose State. Uh, you know, a good player, a bigger possession type of receiver, but not, not slow necessarily. Not a guy who has, you know, zero athleticism. Um, you know, definitely a guy who could be a back end of the roster type of receiver and provide nice depth for a team. Again, not the kind of player that's going to appease an unhappy Hall of Fame quarterback. But here we are. Tony, what'd you think about what the Packers did after the draft? Up off is a guy who's going to make his mark on special teams. He's a guy who, if he makes the active roster, it will be because of his play on coverage units. I like Gaither, uh, but again, you're looking at a number five receiver. I think the overall theme, whether it be this year or last year, is the fact that the last two drafts were receiver heavy. And it was a situation where in both drafts, the Packers needed a receiver. And what did they do? They came away with one guy in the third round of Mario Rogers, who's maybe your slot guy. So, you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see because, yeah, we talk about Aaron Rodgers a lot. You know, are they drafting good players or is Aaron Rodgers basically just carrying that franchise, specifically the offense, on his shoulders? And when Aaron Rodgers leaves, if he leaves, he's going to come tumbling down like a house of cards. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could argue that, you know what, Aaron Rodgers went out and won the MVP last year and he had nothing at receiver besides Devontae Adams, really. You know, Alan Lazard, a decent player, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you know, just a hit or miss deep threat. Um, but you can argue that Aaron Rodgers was the MVP and he didn't even need anything besides Devontae Adams. So maybe that's where Green Bay is looking to say, you know what, we don't need to invest draft capital in the position. We don't need to do that. We're going to try to strengthen other parts of our roster. But, you know, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be there anymore because you're not giving him anybody to 
to throw to and you're asking him to carry, you know, 3000 pounds on his shoulders, which obviously he's more than capable of doing. Um, it's just kind of interesting that you wouldn't at least take a receiver knowing that your quarterback is upset. Even if you feel like your roster doesn't need one, your roster needs Aaron Rodgers, and you need to make sure that he's happy. And if you, all you have to do is draft a receiver in the first round to keep him around for a couple more seasons, I, you know, you're getting a good player certainly, but even if that player busts and you keep Aaron Rodgers for four years, that's worth a first round pick in itself. Yeah, but but I mean, even go back to last year. I, I mean, they take they take AJ Dillon a year, like I said, was stacked with receiver. Take AJ Dillon in, in the second round. What do they do this year in the offseason? They they give uh, Aaron Jones what a, a four year contract. They they take the Degora Degora kid Josiah Degora in the third round. I mean, he's a half fullback, half H back, half tight end type of player, and none of these guys have really produced. So, uh, you know, obviously you can understand why Aaron Rodgers is not happy. And that is it for the 190th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll head south next week to hit the AFC and NFC South before wrapping up with the West Divisions the following week. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 